This B-Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. Loved and trusted by more than 1 million teachers, IXL enhances your teaching and takes work off your plate so you can make an even bigger impact on your students. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights. Strengthen daily instruction, close knowledge gaps quickly, and set every student up for success. Want to bring IXL to your school? Learn more at IXL.com B-E. That's IXL.com B-E. We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, my flex learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash B-E. Welcome to the Cybertraps podcast. I am Jethro Jones coming to you from Washington, host of the podcast Transformative Principle and author of the book School X, How to Redesign Your School for the People Right in Front of You. I am a former principal at all levels of K-12 education. Greetings, everyone. I'm Frederick Lane, an author, attorney, and educational consultant, temporarily based in East Hampton, New York. I'm the author of 10 books, including most recently, Cybertraps for Educators 2.0, Raising Cyberethical Kids, and Cybertraps for Expecting Moms and Dads. Jethro and I have teamed up to bring timely, entertaining, and useful information to teachers, parents, and others about the risks arising from the use and misuse of digital devices. Over the coming weeks and months, we'll be talking to some of the world's leading experts from the fields of education, parenting, sociology, and cyber safety. Join us as we look at what it takes to better navigate our increasingly high-tech world. For more information or to donate to our work, please visit centerforcyberethics.org. The Center, <laughs> the center for Cyberethics is the producer of the Cybertraps podcast, although it's really just the two of us hitting chat. <laughs> In any case, the Center for Cyber Ethics is an independent, nonpartisan educational institute dedicated to the study and promotion of cyber ethics as a positive social force through research, curricula development, publishing and media, professional training, and public advocacy. Well, this episode and the next few episodes of the podcast are going to be about our time in at the PPI conference in Boise, Idaho. So as we are chatting here, I hope you enjoy it and enjoy the uh, people that we were able to talk with. This was the Professional Practices Institute put on by the National Association of State Directors of teacher and educator certification. And this is a similar um, conference that Fred and I went to last year in Oklahoma City as well. So 
Hope you enjoy this and the following episodes that are going to be like it. Since we were recording in a public place, there are some times where the background noise gets a little much, but hopefully we've done enough to take care of that and it's not too annoying. And uh, thanks for your patience with that. Well, why don't you start by telling us your name and what you do? Okay, my name is Felicia Villalobos. <laughs> I'm the executive director for the Hawaii Teacher Standards Board. Great, welcome. Thank you. Yeah, glad to have you here. So uh, tell us what that work entails, because uh, I'm learning that's a little bit different in each state. Yeah, so we are separate from the Department of Education. We have an independent licensing board. And so as executive director, I basically implement the policies and uh, rules and laws that the board has created. And we license all of the public school educators in the state of Hawaii, which actually includes charter schools. Our charter schools are public schools. So we have charter and our public. Our private schools are not licensed. However, we are working with our administrative rules right now to have them, they can have an option to be certificated. Mm -hmm. So they can come through the licensing board to receive a private school certificate. Again, not mandatory because uh, the law does, doesn't require them to have a license or permit, but there is that option coming up. Hmm. Interesting. If I recall correctly, having been out there a couple of times, you're one big school district. Right? Yeah, we're unique in that. We yeah. are just one large school district with all, even though the islands are all separate, we're mm -hmm. all one. So we have one superintendent, one large board of education, and yes, we are just one big district. Yeah. Are there challenges with that uh, from your perspective? There's pros and cons. Um, again, there are people that want to have the Board of Ed um, and have districts because of allocation of money and funds. Mm -hmm. um, but then again, there's that whole aspect of when you are one district, then you kind of are pretty much trying to be on the same page moving forward and nothing is missed. So, so you don't have one island doing better than other island or that kind of thing. So everyone's trying to work together. Mm -hmm. um, You'd also get economies of scale from negotiation and yeah. you know, bargaining and so forth. Yeah. And purchasing and all that good stuff. And then, yeah, because we don't do the property tax thing like most uh, districts do. That property tax goes to that school in that area. That doesn't happen in Hawaii. So uh, the general funded, so they have a huge billion dollar budget. Um, but then that's a con, right? To try to make sure everyone has a fair share, equal share of the pot. Mm -hmm. um, and making sure that the information is going down to the schools because there are so many schools and the islands are really separate. So how is that information getting out and ensuring that's happening? Yeah, yeah I remember doing one set of lectures out there that RJ, remember RJ uh -huh, was one yeah. of our early guests, so he organized, he's just, you know, right on it, and he's like, okay, I'm going to pick you up at 5 a.m., because we got to fly to Maui, I think yeah. it was, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, you got to catch the one flight that yeah. goes, <laughs> it's, and, it's an experience. And the indigenous population, too, the Hawaiian culture and aspect of that, that's, again, we're a two-language state, so it's English and Hawaiian, so we have immersion schools mm. in the state of Hawaii, and so... Um, in our constitution, teachers should be able to teach and perpetuate the culture of mm -hmm. Hawaii. And that's something we're looking at as well. We have a Hawaiian work group working right now to kind of decide on licensing um, just because of the, the practitioner part of that. And so we're trying to get everyone together and you need all the stakeholders from all the different Hawaiian agencies and things in Hawaii to come together to 
to um, compromise on certain, certain issues. Hmm. And so that's another aspect. And you may see that across other um, states that have indigenous cultures, but Hawaii is really strong and they have a great voice mm-hmm. and they want to ensure, because again, it was almost a dead language at some point. So they want to make sure that the schools are incorporating, the public schools are incorporating that, as well as the immersion schools have the resources and funds, but and a lot of it's charter schools. So then you're balancing that money too. Right, that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, contrasting Hawaii, for instance, with Alaska, which is another one of the places, I mean, a lot of the same issues. I I would argue, and maybe I get some pushback from the Alaskans, that they're a little less strong in terms of the indigenous culture than you guys are, but also Alaska's enormous. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's challenges, and it's also, I would guess, a little bit more varied, I don't know. An interesting thing to explore. And right now we do have a Hawaiian permit. And I'm not sure, Fred, if you're aware of the Hawaiian permit. You just need a high school diploma. And what they are doing is these are uh, individuals who are fluent in Hawaiian. And so they're trying mm. to help them navigate to become teachers because that's where you're going to get them. Really smart, right? Yeah, teach, our kids who've gone through an immersion program, hey, do you want to become a teacher? You're already yeah. fluent. Let's help you through that process. Mm-hmm. So they came to the board a while back and they asked for a Hawaiian permit with these conditions that they had to be monitored yearly. They have to have some kind of plan in place and they're gonna help them through the whole uh, getting a degree basically and becoming a licensed teacher so they can actually help the immersion schools. Really smart. Yeah. And it's something that is essential mm-hmm. to perpetuate the language and the culture. Otherwise, it, that's why it, it likely died that you didn't have teachers who were continuing yes. to teach it and making it a priority in each school. So is it something that is is a priority in each school or is it the immersion schools where it's really the priority? It's a priority for the immersion schools primarily um, just to ensure they have quality instructors. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately because they don't have all these spaces filled they do have to hire teachers who don't speak the language and sometimes it's even teachers from uh, the mainland that they oh, have. I was going to ask about yeah. it, yeah. 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 And so they try to because they have content. Maybe they have the content, but they don't have the language, and so they're trying to work with them to help them with the language. And But, it, you know, you're learning an entire language. Yeah. So that maybe, I mean, I don't and, know if they're And a language. non-Romanized, too, yeah. so it's a little bit even more challenging, mm-hmm. I think. Um, yeah. I have a kind of very tenuous grasp with Spanish and French, but when I've traveled to Hawaii, it's, it's a very different language mm-hmm. structure. Yeah. Yeah. So the, it's a lot easier to learn how to be a teacher than it is to learn a whole nother language. So, and, and that's, that's what we're trying to argue, and yeah, that, that we need those already people who speak it or grew up around it to, yeah, it's easier to have them go through college and all that stuff to become a teacher mm-hmm. than to teach them in a whole language. Not only the language, because a lot of the culture, beliefs, and everything, like most languages, is embedded in it. Yes. Yeah, so. that's really cool. Well, I I guess I have to bring us up to the Cybertraps piece of this. So you took over, (laughs) you took over for Lynn Hammond. I did. Yeah, who um, we're still trying to drag onto the show at some point. Hopefully, we'll get to do that. But you know, certainly, I worked a lot with Lynn on the technology issues that all teachers, including Hawaiian Mm -hmm. teachers, are facing. So, in the what, eighteen months, two years? How long has it been now that since you took over? Uh, I think two years. Yeah. I was intern for a year, and then I'm starting my new stint around, so a little over a year. Was yeah. it May? Yeah, it sounds about right. So it, it hasn't been terribly no. long, but I'd still love to get your comments on what kinds of technology-related issues you're seeing in the islands and how you're dealing with them. 
Yeah, COVID really brought that to light. I'm sure it did. Um, we yeah. got some interesting cases where teachers uh, were on a break, however, didn't turn off their computer and were smoking some things and tried to use, hey, it was on a break. I didn't, I wasn't, mm -hmm. but the camera was on, kids were watching, they got reported. People taking their uh, computer to the bathroom on the way to the library to do something and cameras on. So those kind of things, in, because maybe everyone had to become uh, an online teacher with no online training, yeah. mm -hmm. that these kind of things probably would have been prevented if they had a course in it. But again, COVID didn't allow for that. You just jump on a computer and here's, we'll give you maybe some training. And again, I was already leaving the profession. I was getting, um, I was hired as a licensing specialist. So I did my last semester when COVID hit as an elementary first grade teacher teaching inclusion, which was really interesting. Talk about having children not prepared yeah. um, and trying to have an inclusion setting. So both our special ed students whose parents maybe had to work and they weren't sitting right there by the computer. It was just like, no, I can't see you. Where are you? You have your mm -hmm. camera off. You're, right. You got to turn your camera. It was just a lot of chaos. And um, I'm, I'm sure they've kind of figured it out the following year, the following school year, but. I think one of the things I was really struck by, because of course, you know, you see how your research changes when a world event shows up. Yeah. But the idea that now all of a sudden, we talk so much about boundaries, right? And the distinction between professional and personal, and boom, you're teaching from your home. And that, you know, so many teachers I know ran into mostly mild, situations where they forgot what was on their bookshelves or you know maybe their poster was somehow inappropriate or things like that yeah and we really need to reach out to um, our teachers and maybe even the department to see what's happening with the online stuff and because I'm sure they have a lot of cases right now mm. that deal with online and we usually get them later down the line so hopefully six months so that their investigations are pretty long yeah. So yeah. I'm sure we're going to start seeing that COVID era coming to our licensing agency as soon as those investigations are complete. And I'm sure a lot of it's going to have to do with online. Yeah. But it's actually useful because, you, you know, obviously we're talking about the growth of virtual reality and metaverse and so forth. And there's a lot of overlap, at least in broad terms, between those technologies and this idea of a virtual classroom, you know, that encompasses 25 homes and the teacher's home. So there will be useful lessons to yeah. be drawn from this. Exactly, and uh, one of the things is the department actually went the way because it did work for some students and some teachers. It, when it did work, then now they're looking at a whole unit or mm. a, a section of the department that's dedicated to online learning. Nice. So they're trying to have that become more of the forefront for, I mean, if it did work for them, then hey, they have that option now. It's not just brick and mortar schools. Well, and that's one thing I've been saying since the fall of 2020, that if whenever we go back to what, what life looks like again, if you don't have an online component, you're going to lose kids, mm -hmm. period, end of story. If your district doesn't provide something like that, then families are gonna choose someplace else. Mm -hmm. and, and that's just the reality, because for some families, it was way better to do Zoom school than it was to send their kids physically to school every day. For other families, it was way worse. And for some, it was just plain impossible. My oldest daughter with Down syndrome, for example, there's no way Zoom school would have worked. It just, there's no way it would not have worked for her. And so thankfully, she got to go to school every day 
or I think three days a week during the pandemic and then later got to go every day and it was it was really good for her to go to school and because otherwise there would have been no learning she would have had no success and she would have been bored and driven us crazy as well. (laughs) Well, a flip side of that is my sister Kate is 15 years younger than I am, has three kids, three daughters under the age of 13, and lives in a third floor apartment in Somerville, Mass. So she's working for WGBH and her kids, all three of them are doing class in the same space. It was a nightmare. And now, of course, the kids are complaining and this is through pretty true pretty much throughout New England, is that there are no more snow days, right? Because now... <laughs> Those days are gone, right? They can, they yeah. can oh, we're working remotely. Yeah, yeah that's virtually. right. Oh, it looks so. like a blizzard. We'll be doing this unit, right? Yep. And I used to love snow yep. days. They were, like, truly a great yep. gift from God. So. Did, did you ever actually have a snow day? Because I sure didn't. I had many, many, oh. many snow days. I, as a matter of fact, the legendary one, this is utterly off topic, but the legendary one was the blizzard of 82, which is when right around my birthday, so I have a week off anyway, blizzard descends on Massachusetts, 35 inches of snow in my town and across eastern Massachusetts. I was out of school for like two and a half weeks. It was, it was heaven. <laughs> and I'm talking yeah. to, you know, Hawaiian and Utah. Yeah. And like <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Yeah, it was funny. It was a good time. Yeah. Well, one of the things that's coming up, and I should have had our uh, board chair, who's actually an active counselor at one of our high schools, is the mental health. Mm-hmm. issue component when uh, now yeah. you've got to reintegrate with your peers and how that's working because whatever time I talk to them it's it's uh, and not only the students but also also the teachers like the mental health component of now you're in person now you got to maybe deal with personality face to face how is that well working? the socialization Correct. piece yeah. right was a huge deficit mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah and I know um, one researcher from UH Manoa she is looking at uh, student teaching and when you did your student teaching all online for COVID, and now we gave you a license, and now at schools in person, how are you uh, handling behavior management one-on-one in a group, or how are you? It's almost like that? you're licensing for two different things. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, and I think a lot of the new teachers, and we'll get more research from her later, may be struggling. Yeah, I bet. Struggling, and is that going to lead to yeah. retention? Because sure. now I just I can't handle the classroom. It's just I haven't been trained for in-person learning or in-person teaching. I don't know what to do. I haven't seen a mentor teacher do it. Um, we all have done it virtually, so now what am I gonna do? Yeah, and, and that's a very real issue, but at the same time, you couldn't not let those people continue, right? You couldn't hold them back because one, we didn't know the yeah. future, so we couldn't say, It'll, everything will be fine in two years, uh, or or We not. still can't say that. Oh, that's, <laughs> that's right. right. <laughs> that's true, right? <laughs> day by day at this point. Yeah. Oh, very much so. <laughs> so you couldn't hold them back, and you actually needed them to go out in, into the field so that we could fill the spots of people who, who decided to retire because of the pandemic as well. And that's, and yeah, just seeing that, and so now you're dealing with new teachers in the classroom, and then kids who've been out of school for quite a while. So what's going on? I think mental health mm-hmm. has to be a priority at this point to figure out like how to get back, and not even back to normal, but find a new normal, right? right of, exactly right. And, and I think that from, a, again, a technological point of view, one of my concerns is that social media and online activities don't help mental health to begin with. So now it's, you've got layers of, 
for lack of a better term, trauma that we're all grappling with. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's very real. What, what things are you putting in place or do you think should be put in place to help with that? To help with that, and, and just speaking with our board chair and going to these sessions here at the PPI and talking about mental health issues along with other issues that other states are dealing with, is bringing this information back to the board and kind of coming up together with different stakeholders to see what can we do. Mm -hmm. And that's going to be probably starting because the board has a regulatory authority over the educator preparation providers. Mm. What can oh, we do? What are you seeing in your colleges? What can we do as board to help you folks? with um, either teachers with retention, do they need more mentoring? Mm -hmm. Are there mentors out there to be found? Because we also found that they're having a hard time placing teachers with cooperating teachers because there's the teach cooperating teachers are so overwhelmed oh, sure. that they don't want to take on one extra thing and be a mentor to a, a teacher yeah. candidate. So now they're asking, so where can I find this? So now we're gonna think outside the box. Okay, we have national board certified teachers what do we tap into those and ask them hey you're nationally board certified would you like to be on a list that an EPP can use and we can have a uh, student teacher and so that that's where we're trying to gather right now we do have a national board collective and so one of our licensing specialists is working with that collective to generate a list and their job is to gonna that collective is going to reach out to other teachers who are national board certified and say hey our EPPs need us our in-state teachers need us would you like to be a mentor teacher? And so that's what we're working on for that. But for the mental health issue, we're gonna to have to go back to our EPPs and say, are you guys doing anything with curriculum? Do you guys need seminars? Can we provide someone? And, and again, working with our district as well, having that relationship and seeing, is this a critical issue working with our union? Maybe you guys can, because they do a lot of PD courses in our state. Yeah. That's how teachers move is when they get enough courses, they can move on the pay scale. So our mm. union is really active in having a lot of PD courses that are relevant to teachers' needs and that allows them to move on the pay scale. Yeah, that's so a nice incentive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really good. And even with that NEA, right. helping with that because, again, they're under that umbrella of NEA. So what can we do? So it's just going to be a lot of outreaching to see who needs it. And that's what the board usually does is we like to bring people together, all stakeholders, and try to figure out a solution together, pulling our resources. Yeah, well, that's what it sounds like is that you're you're really trying to get everybody on the same page. Mm -hmm. And um, do you have the manpower with the board to to do trainings for teachers? We don't. Um, our office is pretty small right now. I am asking for more positions. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we don't. But so then that's when we pull. Like, can we help? Can you guys help us with this? You guys have manpower to do this, and we can support in whatever way the board can support. But mm -hmm. right now, we're an office of eight, and we just filled in our last two positions, an office assistant and a licensing specialist. So now we have eight. Um, we have around 22,000 active licenses, 13,500 in the state of Hawaii that are, are using a license right now. Uh, so we don't have the manpower just yet, but I would like to build capacity. Um, and again, the licensing agency can be that agency to gather that information and to help or at least connect people. Yeah, it's yeah. interesting because Hawaii, it strikes me that you are more active in terms of the teacher training and educated prep than a lot of other states. Because oh. it seems to me that other states tend to be more uh, the actual licensing enforcement piece of it. And they leave this end of things to like the Department of Education or something like that. 
Yeah, that's curious. Yeah. I, I, I'd be curious to see how many state licensure boards have regulatory authority over the preparation programs. I think it's pretty small, but that's an, we should explore that and look into it. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Um, and then did you also hear how she said they have 22,000 licenses? And, and 15,000? Yeah. 15, 13,500 active yeah. teachers yeah. in the state. Well, so. that came up in another conversation. Yeah, Wyoming has 24,000 active licenses and only 8,000 teachers. So it, it's interesting. That's interesting, the, the licensing gap. That's uh -huh. a... The, the, there are a lot of licenses out there, but there's not people to fill jobs, and there's not people who want. Or so that's where you have to, to incentivize the using of the license, though, and mm -hmm. that's going to be the support. That's going to be the pay scales, all of yeah. these things, and Correct. you have to get the political buy-in, obviously, to do that, and that's hard. And they just did a decompression of our pay scales. So uh, in other districts and other states, you move with every year, right? You get mm -hmm. you get a different pay. However, in Hawaii, it's always negotiated. Uh, so that hasn't been negotiated because there's always a, you know a short. They don't have enough money. The budget shortfalls, and so there are a lot of teachers that were compressed. Mm. And I believe it's like in that fifteen twenty five. They're all even though they have. A lot of years of experience are all being paid the same. So the decompression now, uh, because the the legislators they had money, that funding, they actually decompress. So actually, with the next few weeks, teachers are going to see a difference that we're in that compression. Are going to see a difference in their paycheck. Like a big jump. I'm hoping a big one. I guess it depends on where you're at. I didn't yeah. take a look at the pay scale, but a lot of teachers and union has been telling all the teachers as well, uh, get ready for your paycheck to be changing, and even the department. They, the t this is well deserved for the teachers. They yeah, you know, finally need good. to fix this, as well as they did differentials. And um, so, if you have a sped license and you're teaching with sped students, you get additional money. Mm -hmm. um, it, the hard to fill areas get additional money. If you uh, Hawaiian uh, have the Hawaiian license, Hawaiian immersion license, you're getting additional money. So they're doing differential the pockets of money for in, for those shortfall areas. That's good. Uh, so they're trying to think outside the box. Uh, again, cost of living in Hawaii is, as you know, quite expensive, and yeah. no, we have it's people brutal, yeah. <laughs> come in. And this is why we have the 22,000 active, and they find out the cost of living 1.1 million right now, house meeting, so they just they leave. Yeah, yeah, uh, so. yeah. Or they're moving out of education to something that's, that's more true. lucrative. Yeah. yeah, correct. Yeah. Well, cool. This is this has been great. Um, anything else that you want to mention before we close that we haven't yet? Um, not much. I mean, is there anything else you guys want to ask me about? I mean, there's a lot, but <laughs> I'm curious about a lot of things. But yeah, no, Jethro, it's it's really an interesting, uh, interesting partnership in that Jethro brings such an administrative perspective to mm -hmm. these things, and it's really fascinating for me to to hear how he comes at things. I think, from my perspective, you know, having had a little taste of the islands and and really enjoying my time there. I'm, I'm really impressed with regions like yours, or Alaska, for instance, or even some parts of the Southwest, where technology is not really a luxury. It's a necessary function of mm -hmm. doing a lot of the work that you do. And I think that's both a good thing and obviously slightly more challenging, because it opens up the potential misuse, the cyber traps that we talk about. And being as islands, one of the new business items that the board just passed, and we had during COVID an emergency new business item that EPPs, educator preparation providers, could view or um, evaluate or observe their teacher candidates virtually. 
And so when mm -hmm. COVID ended, so did that new business item sunsetted. So they put in a new business item at the request at the request of the educator preparation programs. Can we do a hybrid? Yeah. Because of neighbor islands, like we don't have to fly in anymore. Right. We can meet with them once or twice, but we don't have to go every time. So we can do maybe two observations virtually, three in person, but they wanted that option. And so the board saw that, yeah, that's great. So you can reach out to neighbor islands who don't, they don't have that physical college space there for the professors to fly in every time. And they can help, you know, with the teaching and the recruitment of educators and saying that, yes, we can do that virtual component as well. So hopefully that's going to help them out a lot. And I think one of the topics down the road, Felicia, would love <laughs> to talk to you about is, is given the necessity of using remote instruction tools and the savvy your kids would develop, whether proportionately you might have more electronic boundary cases than other areas might, you know, where there's, there's just more reliance on in-person teaching. And, and you may not know that for a couple of years, but I'll be curious to see. And it's going to be having you come back to Hawaii yes. and present to teacher candidates about that information so they're well prepared to do that type of thing. I, and I, I absolutely would love to do that. I think it's, it's such important work. And frankly, from my perspective, having done this now for a decade, you guys have been in the lead of states addressing this issue. So it's really impressive. Yeah, and we hope to continue on and again, getting as many stakeholders as possible to pool our resources together and hit those hot topics that we need to to solve some issues within our state. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank yes, you for thank having you. me. I hope to come back again with some updated news. We will definitely yes. right. invite you back. Consider <laughs> it done. Yep. <laughs>